looking to get goal side of Fon. Lafondra away from Davis. 3-1 running. Three points running. Hello and welcome to the Elm Park Rolls podcast supported by Blue Collar Street Food. Well, it was an eventful match yesterday at the Medeski, as I will continue to call it. Two all weird Watford. And to help me talk through it, I've been joined by Jess Charman. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. It was a, a draw that felt a little better because of the comeback. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it, that we had the giving away a two-goal lead against QPR and... It feels so much sweeter, Alex, doesn't it? Having like the opposite emotion coming out. Yeah, it's much better to obviously come back from two down to and give up a two goal, two goal advantage. Uh, you're getting your money's worth this year, aren't you? If you're going to home games, definitely. Yeah, it's not dull. I mean, it felt really dull for the, like the first uh, 20, 25 minutes. We've got to say, Jess, but let's get into the good, the bad and the injured. What are the good points that you take out of yesterday? I think the good points is the fight back, right? You go 2-0 down and it's very difficult a lot of the time mentally. And the fact that the team did have the mental capacity, the strength, the belief in themselves to be able to grind out a result, to pick up some opportunities and be able to finish them is a positive thing. But I'm sure when we talk about the bad, we're going to look at the flip side and how we dig ourselves a uh, big hill to climb like we seem to do very often this season. Yeah, totally. Unfortunately, there is a downside as well. Alex, what are the negatives that you would take out from yesterday's match? The defending, again, it's just every week we seem to concede almost the same kind of goal, don't we? Um, that's probably the main main down point. The lack of lack of reaction, it, it, it was very slow to for us to, once we go into 2-0 down, it, it didn't feel like there was any kind of like, instant kind of change up from from the sideline particularly that was that was quite frustrating um but yeah as Jess said there's definitely some good sides the fight back was good Aziz was very impressive when he came off the bench and overall I don't, there's not like loads to complain about but it's uh yeah just a it's a weird game to discuss I think yeah, I'd, anyone who sat there and thought that we were going to magically come back to 2 all when it was 2-0 down, I mean, well done you. <laughs> but I have to say, I, I wasn't massively feeling that. But let's get back into the, like, the start of the match. We kind of like made one change. We had the new Italian signing coming in. Now, I'm trying to work out how to pronounce his name. I'm not a professional with this, and I do admit this. Is it Cassidy or Cassidy? What you get? I think it's Cassidy. That's my, yeah. my guess. It doesn't feel right. It feels like we're making it English. That's what you do, though. A lot mm. of English people do. And I get away with it in America, making stuff English. <laughs> they love it. So I would go with Cassidy, but it, it's a tough one. He'll probably come out and tell us how to pronounce it eventually. But don't go with Tim Della's pronunciation, because whatever he says is probably incorrect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I totally. I'm, I'm, we had James Earnshaw on, on the preview, and he was saying that, he said it to him, his new pronunciation, but he said it in Italian so quickly, he had no idea what he was saying. <laughs> so that didn't really help him. But how were you feeling, Alex, when you saw the starting lineup? Were you thinking, this makes sense, or you're a little bit confused at what was going on? I was really excited to see the starting lineup. Um, it was different to what we'd been seeing for the last few months in Bengway getting a start at, at centre back in the end, which I was, you know, a little surprised by. I thought he might end up playing out wide and, and year done playing at centre-back, but it was good to see Mbengue get a game at centre-back. And I thought maybe Long is going to play up front on his own and we're not going to be just 
lumping balls forwards um, like we have been to, to Andy Carroll. Playing two up front with Ince kind of alongside him was probably not what I would have expected, but um, it that's kind of what it came came to pass. But yeah, I was quite excited when I saw the lineup. It, it did it made me a bit more enthusiastic about how we might like set the game out um, and, and try and come up with some offensive moves. Yeah, I mean. Jess, I mean, watching that first 20, 25 minutes, it all looked very compact. There wasn't many chances for Watford, was there? I didn't feel like there was a barrage. They felt like they were the better team. But the kind of goal is just really slack defending, isn't it? Yeah, it's lack of concentration. It's poor decision-making. I look back at the first one, and as a goalkeeper, I always like to look at the goalkeeper. And let's not be too hard on Lumley, because I think he had some great moments later on in the game, but he kind of got caught between two minds and stuck in no man's land, right? He was thinking about coming to close down the ball, but then he didn't go all the way or wasn't aggressive enough, which allowed the simple cutback for the tap-in. So it's a preventable goal. Obviously, it doesn't fall all on Lumley because his defence fell asleep to allow the player to be in that area, but it's disappointing. And then for the second goal, for me, you know, there's been a lot of focus about halftime team talks and motivation and the way that Inter is able to motivate his players. But when you're conceding straight out of the break, that's not good enough. It's not good enough to not have been able to have your players switched on out of the break. Letting in early goals is unforgivable and it made it that much tougher and realistically, Yes, we came back, but how often are you going to be able to do that when you're letting yourself fall even further into a deficit straight out of the half? So that's concerning to me, conceding early goals out of the break when you're meant to be at your most switched on out of the break, right? Yeah, totally. Um, the first, the goal was a sick now. I mean, I look at that one as well, and I just think kind of who's most to blame here? What do you think, Alex? I mean, I've got my own thoughts, but you go with it. I mean, I think it's a combination. I think as Jess said, like, I think Lumley gets really caught in two minds. He doesn't know whether to come to the ball or whether to kind of defend the actual, defend the rest of the goal. And I don't really think he does either particularly. Um, I think the ball, like the, the chipped ball into the area, McIntyre has been completely caught out. He's he's tried to pull himself with the, um, with the player who he's followed, but then he hasn't dropped back to... The, the rest of the defensive line. So he's just kind of in no man's land. Hoyler is sort of defending the left back spot, but there's obviously, there's no player there. So the, the player who's running between him and McIntyre basically has a free run in because he doesn't know what's around him at that point. So I think, you know, it's it's Hoyler and McIntyre and Lumley, all, all three of them don't really cover themselves in, in any glory there. Holmes tries to put a block in, but by that point, I think it's, kind of inevitable what we're gonna what we're gonna see there and it's it's another goal which has just kind of come about from the, a ball being played in between one of the wing backs and the center back and so many times this season it's happened down the left hand side I I can't remember many times where we've discussed the ball being played between Yeardom and whoever's playing at right wing back but at left wing back it, it every it feels like it's every week it probably isn't but it feels like it's every week we're talking about another goal or a big chance conceded because the ball's gone between the left centre-back and the left wing-back. And there's just those two positions are, are just real issues for Reading. And they have been all season. Yeah, we haven't got a good left-back. I think that's essentially the problem, isn't it? We got like, we've been through this so many times. One of the things we must sort out in the summer is left-back. 
um, and we need to get a player in who can play for three or four years there or be good enough so we sell him on. That's ultimately the position that you want to yeah, have. Yeah, particularly if we're going to keep playing this this style and this system because the wingbacks are so critical in this system. You saw it in the second half once disease came on. They're, they're so critical in terms of like your attacking output as well. And at the minute, we don't really have a good option, I don't think, on either side. Hoylet is okay, um, and he's, he's done well this season, but ultimately, I don't really think he's a wing-back. And Baba Rahman's been probably average to poor most of the year. Guinness Walker doesn't seem to be getting a chance. So, yeah, I think left-back and right-back are going to be big, um, you know, big targets this summer. We've got to find somebody who can go into both slots for next season if we're going to continue playing this kind of five-at-the-back system. I think you put it best, Paul, that it needs to be someone that can offer consistency as well, right? Like there's one thing having a decent player for a year luring you into a full sense of security, but we want someone that's able to be here every season to help build, to have that vision, to understand the culture of the club and be a part of it. And that seems to be very difficult, obviously, right now with our inability to sign, obviously, but it's something that we've just got to get right because if you have to play this system if this is the system we see as being the most successful alex you're right they're so important in the attack but you can't sacrifice defense for ability in the attack you need someone that's good on both ends of the pitch and that's rare to find and we need to find one if we're going to be successful in this system yeah i totally agree with all of that when i look at the positive from the first half i mean paul Lynch was saying afterwards that we had the better chances we look, you know, the better team. I'm not convinced by that in any way. I mean, he's living off vibes there, isn't he? Every, there was, there was every, one. Every, every week, Paul in his press conferences just like confuse me. That's so weird. He yeah. is generic press conference. It could be you. You can't tell which game the press conference is for because he has every cliche under the sun, and then he throws his players under the bus one week, and then uh, don't get me. I don't. I don't think he's very good at his press conferences, honestly. No, no, I, I think that's a real problem for him, that area. Like you say, he, you're absolutely spot on that when he kind of, like you say, one week he'll say, oh, the players have let themselves down. So this, you know, he didn't say disgrace, but, you know, it's really bad. And then yesterday he's saying, this team never stops. It always keeps fighting. So so <laughs> which one is it? I get it. It's, it's football. It's erratic. But there was one positive moment, and throughout the game he was positive, was the Tom in shot. So that was... Uh, Pretty decent save, but I think the goalie probably should save it from the edge of the box there, Jess. Yeah, and he drags it, right? It's not the cleanest connection of strikes, but the mm. fact that he has the confidence to make the run, to take the shot, he is a live wire. He is a workhorse. I've been a little critical on Twitter of him at times because I think that his attitude in moments and his, you know, holding other players accountable to a different level maybe isn't always helpful, but I don't think you can criticize his individual work rate and the impact he had in this game and I think that strike like you say was a bright moment it's a good save but if it goes in we're looking at a goalkeeping error there which we'd love to have seen <laughs> unfortunately he's too good for that but we move into the second half and we're thinking okay we've got to come out we've got to kind of be more positive in this period of play we can't let a second goal in and straight away we look so weak defensively I mean Saar should score pretty much straight away after halftime, which a good save, though, from Joe Lumley there, Alex. You've got, Lumley, you've got to give him some credit. Yeah, Lumley massively 
digs McIntyre out of a hole here because McIntyre has just he stepped into trying to make a I don't know what he's done like it's such a weird thing from McIntyre to do he stepped into the up into the uh to try and make a challenge and Sarah's just skipped past him basically and he's just left this gaping hole in the center of defense for Sar for Sar to run into and yeah I think Sar probably should score Lumley's made a pretty good save there in in all honesty um obviously they didn't get the corner and that save kind of is completely wasted. Uh, but it is a, it's a good save by Lumley um, that it does give you at least a little bit of confidence, perhaps that we're going to be able to, you know, keep Watford at bay during the second half. But then obviously 10 seconds later, the ball's in the back of the net. So um, the, the goal itself is a, it's just, it's another disappointing one to concede. I know Jess mentioned earlier about the fact that we conceded out of the break, but it's uh, I, like, I, whenever you can see the goal from a corner, it's always disappointing to to see. Last year, we all listened to people complaining about man marking versus zona marking, and, and yet, like we now definitely seem to favour man marking under Paul Ince. And it didn't take a lot for Watford to kind of basically confuse the the man marking system. And McIntyre completely loses his man, um, as I can't remember a guy's name. Paul. Portreus, Porteous, I don't know how you say it. New signing, the, the, right? new signing, I think he the was. New signing, yeah. He he basically just runs off of McIntyre um, and finds himself in acres of space. And it's a decent header, but ultimately it's a free header. And like, I don't really think Lumley has done fantastically well here. I think he probably could do better. Um, maybe I'm being a little harsh, but I, I don't think he's made a great attempt to make a save on 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 that free header. Um, and yeah, you find yourself 2-0 down and it's what, two minutes into the second half and it's pretty much the worst, like the worst way you could start the second half. Yeah, and everything that they say at halftime gets scrapped up and then you have to change everything. You've lost that advantage you're meant to have by having a halftime team talk. With the Lumley thing, it, it's tough. Anytime you have a, a header from a corner, you know, a, I think that a lot of the time the goalkeeper's thinking, well, it's in. And I don't think he bothers. To be honest, it feels like that kind of vibe. But you can't put yourself in his shoes there. But like you say, the defending's horrific. But when we talk about man marking, that's got to be someone there back there organising. Who's making sure they stay? Who's being vocal back there? And I wonder if we don't have... When we look at our defending throughout the season, it feels like maybe there isn't the right vocal presence back there that's keeping things organised. Because it does look disorganised at set pieces a lot. It does look like we don't have that figure point that maybe we've had in successful seasons that's leading us back there, really making sure we're accountable with the marking. You look at McIntyre's body language afterwards, he's just kind of shrugging, just like, well, I guess I lost him. I think in previous successful seasons, we'd have had someone that's holding him accountable and he'd have been holding himself to a better level as well. I think it's an unforgivable mistake. And I love McIntyre. I love his story, but he has cost us, in this game in terms of the way that he's played. I thought it was a very poor performance from him in moments during this match. We, If you look back at all of our successful teams over the last, what, 15 years, or successful defences at least over the last 15 years, Kaspers Gorks alongside Alex Pierce, you've got a, you know, an academy kid alongside an experienced defender. Even Sonko in Ingham Arsenal when we won the league in, in 05-06, Sonko wasn't a, an experienced defender at that point particularly, but he's alongside like a calm head and a an experienced player at the minute we've got Tom Holmes who's pretty much the most like experienced central defender out of the three and he's what 21 or 22 
Like we we really lack. Uh, and to be honest, the Sam Hutchinson signing is is probably what they were hoping would fix this, but he hasn't been fit all season. But we really lack a, an experienced centre back to play alongside Tom Holmes. I think. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same there, Alex. You've uh, sell it much better than me as well. So well done to you. I I think that just who would have predicted it would have come back at um, two 0 The stadium was just flat. You I will say at two 0 Joe Lumley turned around to Club eighteen seventy one just as the goal went in, and he really tried to g the crowd up. And I thought it was so it was so funny watching it because. Club 1871, this was just after the goal went and they were running the ball back to the, to the centre circle. And Club 1871 was just, it was silent, the reaction. I thought it was very, very... <laughs> at least he tried. My dad texted me at 2-0, like, I hope you've turned it off. Like, I hope you're not watching. He was just oh, like... <laughs> yeah, Eric turned it off at 2-0, if I remember correctly. Went back yeah, to he's bed. He's just well, he was going to bed. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, it was whatever it was. One AM. I paid too point. much money to turn it off, even if it if it's miserable. I paid too much money for that subscription to turn it off, no matter what the score is. No, no, no. I understand that. I mean, I mean, I think probably the turning moment was a combination of factors here. It's what for dropping off. Their standards definitely stepped off, and they made some errors and got very tense and you could feel even before the goal came there was a possibility something might happen and it was a substitution of bringing on Fauna and taking off Cassidy that's what we're going to call him anyway it's probably completely wrong uh the, the penalty the, I think taking off Cassidy was was it, it definitely changed our style didn't it because hmm. beforehand we were very much a case of like knocking it past the midfield pretty much we weren't playing it through the midfield at all which was I thought it was really surprising because the whole kind of vibe and essence of bringing in Cassidy, I thought, was that he was a player who was really good with his feet, very technical, he was going to keep it on the floor. But basically everything that went to him, especially in the first half, was up in the air and we were just trying to utilise him to to win headers. It, it just confused me the way that we kind of lined up with him and the team. And then as soon as Fauna came on, that kind of stopped. We didn't knock it long at all and we were trying to actually play it a little bit faster on, on the floor. Yeah, I think we have to give him the benefit of the doubt just because he had no time in practice. We don't know exactly what to expect from him. We don't know what to expect or his teammates don't know what to expect from him. But for me, maybe it's not the right decision to even start the kid. I feel like you've thrown him in the deep end. You've thrown him into deep water. Nobody understands what his role is right now. He probably doesn't understand his role in his style of play. You've thrown him in the deep end at home in front of your crowd. And now you've got a bunch of fans that, probably are thinking, why have we signed him? I don't think it's fair necessarily to put a young kid in that position. You know, okay, maybe he goes out, has a worldy game. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, we signed the best player. But how often does that happen in these things? I think sometimes you have to nurture these younger players that are coming on loan for a reason because they're not getting minutes and elsewhere. And I think that we didn't get to see his potential today. Luckily, we're here telling people, give them a chance, but not everyone's going to do that. So I thought that was a interesting decision to throw him in right away if he didn't understand the game plan or if we didn't understand what his skill set fully is. No, no, I totally agree with both your points. So the fact that we were playing the ball to him so much in the air, that's clearly not his ability. I mean, he clearly is a pretty good in the air, but let's use his feet. I mean, you just need to look at the footage of what he's done. Youth League is totally different to the championship. But it shows that he has got the capacity to maybe have these moments. I think there were some bits in there when he looked okay. 
Um, he's going to come away from that. He's going to learn. He's going to improve. I, I've got faith here, B. By the come like, maybe it might be too late for us, but for him, I think he's going to learn a hell of a lot from it, just from that experience, because everything was just a bit too quick. And I understand that completely. It's your first match and you're playing against Watford, who are one of the best teams in the league. That That's never going to be straightforward. But let's get on to the penalty. Now, that was classic Shane Long. I knew exactly what was going to happen. He makes that run so many times. And normally he doesn't get the penalty. I think it was a penalty. Um, what do you think, uh, Alex? Because Watford fans have lost their mind about this one. I mean, I mean good luck for that. If you were, so if you were at the kind of the south end of the stadium, I could definitely see why you wouldn't think that was a penalty. And I can kind of understand why the Watford fans are a little bit aggrieved if you haven't seen the replay and you've not seen it. Uh, Long kind of runs across Cathcart to try and get to a, what is a pretty good pass. I think it's from Hoylet, uh, the pass. It's a decent pass into the area. And Long's tried to basically run across Cathcart to claim the ball, but he's run in front of Cathcart and Cathcart doesn't seem to realise that Long's doing it. The The defence from some of the Watford fans is that Long's basically initiated the contact, which I kind of understand i kind of get but at the same time long is trying to get to the ball so it feels like there's always going to be contact there if 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 long you know if long moves that way if he doesn't move that way then he's not going to ever win the ball so it's it's a difficult one to to judge i think i i can understand why Watford fans are a little bit aggrieved because it does look like long has just basically bought the penalty but at the same time it, it it's a foul so I can understand the frustration, but I, I don't really think that it's it's one which you can kind of disagree with too much. What do you think on it, Jess? I think the ball's there to be won, right? He's going in for the challenge. He's definitely trying to make a play on the ball. I get the idea that maybe he's sold it a little bit, but we've seen him do it time and time again. It's part and parcel of this style of play, right? It's the part and parcel of that style of striker. I think it hurts them more because we came back after that goal. If it's a consolation goal, maybe it's not as big of a talking point, but I think the fact that maybe it put fire in our belly and we were able to come back to the 2-2 draw, that's why Watford fans are so outraged with it. But looking back and listening to the commentary, at least, no one really said that it wasn't a penalty. It's maybe soft but it's still contact and I think the referee gets it right which is refreshing for us to be on the end of a good decision. When you look at all the Watford players reactions as well and as Jess said like nobody nobody looked like they were complaining nobody said it was harsh none of the Watford players seemed like they were aggrieved at the decision it felt like they all kind of just understood it straight away so I think it was yeah it's a difficult one for for a referee at that point to to not give it if Long's gone to ground. I think Kafka's probably frustrated with himself. The fact that he hasn't defended it properly. If he's just half a yard ahead of that, he gets to the ball, it's out for a corner. There's no problem, isn't there? They've been caught out slightly sleeping. Tomins takes the brilliant penalty there. Um, I don't think anyone's going to save that. We move on 2-1. Are we thinking, what's going to happen here? I thought it was inevitable that there was going to be another goal, but I couldn't work out which end because we looked atrocious defensively. But we were attacking well. And Aziz came on as well, Jess. And I thought he made a big difference. Oh, I loved him. I loved the energy he brought, the confidence he brought, the little bit of trickery. I think he's kind of very confident in himself, which you love to see, particularly considering he hasn't been favoured 
in terms of the minutes he's received, it didn't look like he gave a crap. You know what I mean? He came out and had a point to prove maybe a bit of a chip on his shoulder. And he was energetic throughout. He was a live wire, getting opportunities, a couple of decent shots. You know, I remember a volley that he took and the fact he had the confidence to take that volley just shows me the kind of mindset and headspace that he's in. And I think that if he's given an opportunity to play more often and get consistent minutes, he'll be a very exciting product for us to have on the pitch. But will he get those minutes? I mean, we've been asking for him to get more minutes for a, for a while, I believe. I just one of the things, that I, really, yeah, one of the things I really enjoyed about Aziz is the fact that he stretched the play. He really was insistent on basically just sitting on that left touchline and, and moving the ball forwards on the touchline. And it like we just didn't have that at all for the rest of the game. Um, we haven't... We don't really get it with Rahman or Hoyler, particularly with them wanting to attack right just straight down the line. Um, he, it would be a real disappointment if we didn't see him play more minutes, as, as Jess said. Yeah, I hope so. And I, I can't see any reason why he wouldn't after that. He came on. He had a huge impact. He was pushing the team on. Everything he did was positive. I can't think of anything negative from me yesterday. I mean... That's the standard you want as a substitute, isn't it? Coming on and having an influence on the game. 80th minutes, the moment that we're all waiting for. Jeff Hendrick yet again turns into Paul Scholes for about three seconds. None of us expect this, but it seems to be becoming a habit, doesn't it? I mean, Jess, were you expecting that massive volley there, which was clearly not off his shin? You know, yeah, you're trying to put me in a bad situation where I say that I'm not sure how much he meant it. So everyone thinks <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Listen, it's a great idea from Ince, and I like that uh, in the press conference, his dad basically said this wasn't from the training ground. This was a little bit of you know a moment of understanding the field of play. It's a good run by Hendrick to find himself in the space. Does he swing at it a little wildly and hit it off his shin? I think he does. I think that's why it goes in, because he doesn't strike it as cleanly as maybe we would like to see. But that's a guy that's very confident right now, striking the ball. We've seen his couple of worldy goals now. And right place, right time, good finish. Whether he meant it 100%, I'm not sure. But we love to see it. We love to see it. I think he meant it. I think he meant Alex, it like back that. me up here. Alex, back me up. Don't make me look like that. It doesn't mean it at all. It's come bang off his shin. Like, no one I hits the ball like that off their shin. Jeff Hendrick here is unacceptable on this episode. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, it's a great goal, Hendrick, but it can't claim that you meant to, to put it in the top corner of he his did shin. Claim. Look at his celebration. He's like, yep, absolutely meant it. I'm a rocket. It, it's a brilliant. Listen, he's got a, a good eye for, for a movement to find himself in that space. And again, to hit it first time, it's not an easy technique to hit it first time on that sort of delivery. Good delivery from Ince, and we don't care if he meant it or not because we got a draw, right? Yeah, who cares? Ultimately, it's a cracking goal. We all loved it. The stadium erupted. But there was a moment just before this that really the Watford fans are so seething about was the fact that they thought they'd went 3-1 up. And that would have made totally irrelevant. I think the game would have been dead then. It's clearly offside, isn't it, Alex? I mean, there's no doubt on this. It's the procedure that it took so long, but they communicated and it's the right result in the end. But Sambabongli, what is he doing? What is he doing? Yeah, I think they got there in the end, didn't they? And the linesman, I think, actually giving him some credit here, he basically doesn't make a decision because he isn't sure, which, you know, often he linesmen and, and assistants get a lot of criticism for not you know not making a decision but actually I think he's he's 
done the right thing by communicating with the referee and saying, basically, I don't know if Hassan Belong has touched the ball because if he has, he's offside. If he hasn't, he's probably not offside. Um, but ultimately, it's quite clear. Once, I mean, if you see the replay, it's quite clear that Hassan Belong has touched the ball and he's definitely offside there. So most of the Watford fans after kind of after the match seem to accept the fact that he's offside. They just don't like the fact it took a long time to come to the decision. But, you know, the defending, by the way, for this is absolutely shambolic. It's really, really bad. Um, I won't go into that too much. But, yeah, it's it's offside. They got to the correct decision eventually. Uh, but if it had yeah, if it had gone to 3-1, it would have, would have definitely been over, wouldn't it? would have been doomed. We were never going to crawl our way out of a 3-1 deficit. So I think you're right, Alex. The way it happened, just because of in this league not having VAR, we're not used to these delays or these pauses. It looked really strange on the video. And I think the fact that Lumley went over to the linesman probably made them even more frustrated because it looked like Lumley was the one that had something to say. And then the decision went in our favour. But even if he hadn't touched it, the movement he makes across Lumley and the attempt to play the ball should have him offside regardless because when you turn it around and you look at the the way that he's really impeding Lumley's decision making makes him active right but we see it all the time that active clause in the offside rule isn't consistent it's just like a handball none of it is consistent in terms of the deliberate action or the physical impeding of him to make a play on the ball but it worked out for us and I actually would like to see more of this patience, like you say, from officials at times to have a conversation. They should be using those microphones more often and having, you know, conversations about, hey, I didn't see this bit. What did you see? Because I think we would get more things correct with just a simple delay versus rushing into it at moments. Not a three minute pause, but like a, a 50 second conversation would go a long way, I think, sometimes with officiating in this league. I know you said it would have been offside anyway, Jeff. Lumley was going to save it. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced he was going to save it anyway. So Lumley. Super Lumley. Yeah, definitely. Super Lumley. I've got to say, it was fantastic being there. The fact that all the Watford players celebrating, then, then they're not quite sure. Watford fans celebrating, and then the slow arm of the flag comes up from the lino. It's like, oh, it's a sweet moment because you never really see that. I noticed also slightly going off theme just for one second here. The Sheffield Wednesday game yesterday, Sheffield Wednesday scored a second goal and they actually went to the big screen. And I don't yeah, know how that works. I, I read about this. and they, yeah. they, they, disallowed, they disallowed the goal from what I read, even though technically the guys basically moved away from the ball as the goal mm. come in. It's a very similar situation, but the, the attacker has moved away from the ball. And then they did the, the referee and the assistant have used the big screen, which has only got one angle. They're not and then just allowed the goal. I thought that the people in the booth weren't even allowed to play replays until the decision was made. At least that's what the rule used to be. That's that's why. exactly what I thought as well. Yeah, no, it's really bizarre, isn't it? I mean, I'm just trying to add VAR to the league so. themselves. That's League One VAR, isn't it? That is uh, that's a speciality set. Uh, we do go on to have more chances here, Jess. There's one, there's a quality one for Mate. There's also another one when Long cuts across and he can't get a proper connection. So if anyone was going to score a third goal, I'd probably say it was us. Yeah, I would say so. The Mate one was huge, wasn't it, really? I think the defender does well to slide in. I think the defender going to ground and sliding in front of him 
makes him whiff at it. I think he's a player that's quite short on confidence at the moment. Obviously, the penalty miss, I think, back to and just not been able to be consistent enough and get many opportunities. And I think that it was one of those where he was probably already thinking about his goal celebration a little bit. It feels like he took his eye off the ball, got distracted by the player sliding in and just leans back and sends it up into Rosette. And it's a frustrating one because I don't think there's many nicer players on this team than Yakumate. I think he's the best of the best and he deserves those opportunities. But you've got to finish a chance like that, particularly when you're coming off the bench, because otherwise you're going to find yourself on the bench more often than not, because you need someone that's able to finish it from what? Was it even 12 yards out? I don't even think it was past the penalty spot. I posted on Twitter during the game about the fact that Mate and Zhao must be counting down the days until they can leave Reading this summer because we were 2-0 down and, and they must have both been very frustrated to be sat on the bench. But ultimately, as just said, if you're sat on the bench and then you come on, you get a, a chance to win a game 3-2 from 2-0 down and you spoon it over the bar from what is probably 10, 10 yards or so, it, all he's got to do there is hit the target and Reading have won the game pretty much. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a huge chance there for Mate. The long chance is a little bit, uh, uh, you know, a little bit less likely, I think, to to really result in a goal. But Mate's chance is so so big. Um, the fact that he's not managed to to put that away is really disappointing because coming back from two 0 down against a team who were sat in the top six, oh, oh, however badly Watford fans might think that they're actually playing this season, they're still sat in the top six of the table. And if we'd managed to come back and pick up three points against a team who are sat in the top six at home from soon or down. It would have been such a confidence boost, especially for, you know, especially for fans um, who are, you know, I think people are beginning to starting to question our form as well. I think we've got one win in six and it's something like four wins in 20 or four wins in 19. Now at this point, it's, it's a bit grim when you look at the actual form of form of everything, despite the fact of where we're sat on the table. Sorry, I thought someone else was going to come in then. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's a kind of real situation with Reading FC at the moment. You're never quite sure what performance you're going to get. I mean, we've had the Stoke 4-0, and then you think yesterday, okay, this game's going to turn up being really ugly, and then we come back into it. So it's very erratic. I mean, and as a manager, as much as people do find Paul in frustrating, and I get that, I get that completely, Ultimately, the team does show enough fight. I think it shows more fight than it has over the last few years. I don't feel like it's a game that we definitely would have been crushed in in other games. Paul Ince is a really difficult topic, though, going forward, Jess. Yeah. I, I don't know what we think about this one. It's hard, isn't it? Because he's able to get the fight out of players sometimes, but the consistency is not there. And for a team to be truly successful in this league, you've got to be consistent and I think sometimes we are obviously living in this moment and you have this feel after this game where it's like yes we came back from you know 2-0 how amazing we motivated our players we fought back we were in a position to win it with that opportunity but then you flip it back to just a couple of weeks ago against QPR and it's the other way around where we crumble and I think that we're not seeing enough consistency right now in this squad. And that's not saying Paul Ince isn't necessarily the man to lead us forward, but we need him to figure out this consistency. It's all very well playing with your heart on your sleeve, playing with emotion, but we've got to get the basics right. And I think that we're seeing consistent errors. Alex alluded to it with the goals that we're conceding that always seem the same in terms of splitting our defence and simple passes, breaking us down. And uh, I think that 
insanity is repeating the same error over and over again. And it just feels like we're not able to stomp out those consistent errors at times. And whether that's from the managers or whether that's player mentality, something isn't quite right in this side to not be able to consistently play well. You know, I think that we have bright sparks, but it's just not good enough consistently. And that's why our form, like Alex said, is atrocious in terms of how many wins we picked up. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my, I'm trying to unmute myself. I just won't work. But yeah, um, I was going to just mention on Paul Ince, it's a very difficult subject, I think, as Jess says, because some of the time you've got um, this emotion and we come back and we look, you know, there's fight and the spirit and that's what people want. And so much of it, the debate around Ince, I think, comes back to the fact that the pre-season expectation is Reading have just got to stay up this season. And it it's all well and good if he meets that goal of staying up this season. But you have to kind of look forwards and look past this season. If, if Reading are going to stay up this season, which, fingers crossed, they should, you know, barring a, barring a minor disaster, they should you have to look forward past this season and say, is this, is this the kind of football that you want Reading to be playing in, in 12 months time? Is this the football you want to be seeing in 18 months time? And it feels like we rely on basically just vibes and big moments. We don't really have any structure or plan as to how we're going to attack, how we're going to create chances, how we're going to dominate a team. And we kind of rely on, on big moments happening for us in games. I mean, again, yesterday, we've scored from a penalty in a set piece. Fantastic that we've come back, but we, we haven't scored from open play again. We didn't really look like scoring from open play particularly, um, except for the Akumete chance right at the very end, I think. It's, I, I'm probably on the, like, probably just about on the side of, I think Paul Ince, it would be very unfair to sack him mid-season, but I don't really see what benefit it is to keep him past summer. And is our goal forever to just stay in this league? You know what I mean? There has to be a little bit more ambition than just being a club that just wants to stay in the championship. I get it. It's very difficult to be promoted. We all know that. We've been there, done that, and we know how difficult it is. But if every season, at the start of the season, our feeling is, well, we just got to stay up another year, that's not a fun thing to be doing, right? Like, that's not an exciting moment. And we're a club that has history, that has potential, and we've seen what we can do, and we have a clear-cut identity. And I think that identity right now, like Alex said, is what's missing. We don't have a specific identity that we've seen in the years where we were successful in using our wingers under Koppel, those kind of things. And I, I just think that we're lacking that. And I don't want to be in a position where we're looking at it in preseason next year again, and that the only goal is to stay up, and that's a successful season. Like, that's just not what we're about or shouldn't be what we're about. No, no, I, I, I get that from both of you. I'm going to take on the mind of Paul Lintz here. Wow, this is like a hell of a journey here. If he was here, he'd be saying, well, I've had to restructure the club. Now we've got Mark Bowen. Now we've got a proper setup. I've also not been able to get the players I wanted to get in. It's so limited. I can't create a structure. Our players are inconsistent because of the, the market that we're in. I understand there's people saying, yeah, but he still should be doing like, there should be a plan and objective. I get that. But I'm just saying what he'd be saying if he was sat here. But... I think he he has some <laughs> excuses is, is a harsh word to use. He has some kind I of like... I think they're valid though. I think they are. Yeah, valid. I don't want to call them excuses. They're not, like he, yeah. 
we shouldn't call them excuses, but he has some kind of like debate points which are, are perfectly valid. You know, not being able to sign his own players, granted, it's fair. Uh, you know, being very limited in the transfer market, again, fair. But there's still like you again last season when we were on the pano, everybody said, "Well, you've got to work with what you've got." The injury situation is what it is, and you have to kind of find the way to to produce and it kind of feels like that's just been not tossed aside, but it just feels like a bit that it's not, you have to work with what you've got. It's just, you, this is who you've got. And if you don't manage it, then well, you were very limited. So that's okay. And it's, it, it feels like we've, we've got a better squad than just being kind of a, a team who, who thrives on, on, you know, scoring a long shot or, waiting for a set piece we do have a team which could produce moment like better better attacking play however i do think that you've got another what 20 games or so if ins manages to prove in the next 20 games or so that he's able to get this team to play better in inverted commas better football by all means i'm gonna be you know I'll be I'll be eating humble pie by the end of the season, but at the moment I just don't see that happening. I think we're just going to end up playing the same style of football for the rest of the season. Well, he's been here for nearly a year now. I don't think it's going to dramatically change, is it? I feel it's unlikely, but I I appreciate your optimism there, Alex. I, I appreciate that. It's going to like give us some hope. So we've been sending some questions as well. Uh, a mixed bag here, as you'd expect, which is good to see from everyone. Alex Emmett, out of all the lone players that we have, which ones would you keep in the summer? Just an interesting topic. What would you go for out of all the loans there, Jess? Um, I don't think Barbara Ramam's going to be a choice. I'll, I'll be honest, I won't speak for you, but I think I'll say that. You know what frustrates me about Baba though? I watched him in the World Cup and he was pretty good. Like, I don't think we see what he does for it his is. national team with the club. Like, it's so frustrating. I had so many people texting me during the World Cup about how good he was, and oh my he god, an assist he in the World Cup. Huh? he's never got an assist for Reading. He got an assist no, in the World no, Cup, he only played three games, and he was energetic and he was fighting and he was taking people on. And it's like, if he could bottle up what he did in the World Cup, he would be okay. I don't know what it is about. I mean, you see it with players, right? When they put their country jersey on, maybe they're more motivated, of course, they're playing in the World Cup. But if he could give us a little bit like that, he wouldn't be a bad bet. And I find it so frustrating because I get. The criticism he gets, like on Reading FC Twitter, I get it completely. But when you can see what he can do, I feel like we don't see his full potential at the Medeski ever. I've got to say, that has been the best pitch ever I've heard on this podcast for Baba Roman. <laughs> it really is. I got so, the boys back. I've got, like, I just, I, I covered the World Cup and I just, yeah, yeah. He was so exciting on this team mm. and he gave them. But maybe also, listen, it's to do with the style of play. They were playing fearless. They were playing, you know what I mean? He was given more freedom, maybe. I don't know. But uh, I but wish. Which player I wish... would you keep then? Yes. Would it be out of all the lone ones? I don't know. No. I don't know who, who we're able to keep, honestly, at this point. The I... only, hypothetically. The only one I would, even hypothetically would consider keeping would be Fauna. That would be it. The rest of them are just. Fauna utilized enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I... And no, that's. I... And it... Hypothetically, it's only on potential anyway. The rest mm -hmm. of them don't really want Loom to stay. Hendrick no. seems, I mean, Hendrick seems to be kind of being pushed towards the fact that we're going to end up keeping Hendrick through what I can see Paul in saying all the time. Don't really want to keep Baba Raman. Lumley, eh, 
I mean, maybe. I, uh, I would hope that we, we I wish we could upgrade our goalkeeping position. He has yeah. moments of magic, but do we feel like he's always going to make a mistake in a game? Yeah. And again, we look back at our successful seasons and we've always felt like we had a goalkeeper back there that was solid, you know? So, but I think we'll end up keeping Lumley. I do. I, I just have this feeling. Matt yeah, I wouldn't so be, happy right now with that comment. <laughs> I wouldn't be overly upset if we kept Lumley, but at the same time, I wouldn't be like jumping for joy if Lumley was the, the lone player that we managed to keep. It, <laughs> it, it's got to be, there's got to be other options out there for, for goalkeeper. I agree. I'm not sure I'd really be gagging to keep any of them, to be honest. Uh, another one here from number 13. Can you discuss the transfer window and what implications the lack of activity might have for the club? I was surprised if the club hadn't tried to move Ovi and Jao on. I mean, I'm sure they did try to get players out of the club because I'm, I've no doubt they wanted to get new players in. But if nobody wants to leave, it just restricts it so much, doesn't it? I mean, we'd all love to have seen probably another midfielder, wouldn't we, Jess? Yeah, it's so tough with all of the financial implications and the sort of boundaries that we have on us right now. And you want new players in, but you want to try and make sure you're signing the right players in terms of, you know, Ovi and Jao. It's hard when you're not playing, isn't it? And we talked about it with Jao and Mate waiting right now because if they're not trusted in a situation when you need goals, then what are they doing with us? And I think that Ince maybe sees differences in players that maybe other people value or see more potential in and if you're not going to play under the manager if that's the manager that's going to play then you need to really move on in your career you know and that's a hard one because I think particularly with the Mate case we're all quite emotionally attached right like he has been a really good human being to have on this team and that that's tough to see him treated like that but if he's not going to play then you can't have him in but I do worry that other teams have strengthened and we we haven't we just haven't been able to and that's a tough scenario to find yourself in no i agree that does worry me as well i think we're just i think we will be okay still but yeah the teams around us have definitely got one or two players in that could make a difference which is a bit of a worry so the final one here mike stack surely the last 30 minutes or so must have convinced ince would be much more effective playing attacking style considering we are clearly awful in defense it's hard to uh, disagree with that isn't it alex basically mike has got it bang on but it will not have convinced paul ince of whatsoever it, like he's not going to change his mind he's a football manager and they're very stubborn can't disagree with that. That's absolutely true. I said exactly the same on the way out. Surely we just play more attacking football, but we will see. So thanks a lot for listening. If you have enjoyed, give us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back with a preview of the Sunderland game, which is going to be a long, long journey for us, me and Alex and Matt. 15 hours or something ridiculous. 17 hours around trip. 17 hours. I cannot wait for that. That would be absolutely beautiful. So um, thanks for listening. Cheers.